Let me say one more prayer for us and we'll jump into our text. Our Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, God, for your mercy, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for being a good God. You really are good. So, so good. Much better than we deserve. We pray that this morning we would hear your word and you would speak. So, Lord, bless the words of my mouth. Bless Isaac as he preaches in Spanish. We pray that you would accomplish what only you can do today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off with a question, family. First of all, good morning, family of God. Uh, what if Jesus came to your house? Rolled up on a Saturday afternoon around 5 o'clock. What would you be doing? What would you stop doing? What would he find you doing? Would you be ready? What if he called you at 4.30 and said, hey, I'm coming in half an hour. What would you start doing? Would you be ready when you hear that knock on the door? I'm going to come back to that just a little bit, but I want to tell you about myself. Now, I'm the kind of guy, I get visitors sometimes, but also uh, I have this habit when I go to other people's houses. I walk in the door and I say, welcome. I don't know why I do that. Sometimes I try not to do it, I do it anyway. I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense, right? (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. Why you walk up in somebody else's house and tell them welcome? They're already at home. Now, here's the point of today's message. If you want to host Jesus, you got to let him host you. If you want to host Jesus, you got to let him host you. When Jesus walks into your house, guess who's the host? Jesus. He's always the host. If you want to welcome Jesus, you got to let him welcome you. Why? Because he is the Lord. He's the Lord. Look at verse uh, 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. Verse 40. Martha went up to him and said, Lord. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her. See, Jesus is the Lord, which means everything belongs to him. When you're at home, you're in his house. When you're at school, you're in his classrooms. When you're at work, you're in his office building. You're in his warehouse. You're in his hallways. You're at his restaurant. It's his. Everything belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Psalm 24, 1. That, it's all his. And that's really good news because Jesus is really good at taking care of his stuff. And he's even better, he's really, really good at taking care of his people. If God is taking care of you, let me hear an amen. I mean, like, for real, like, he really does take care of us. He really does. And sometimes we think we have to fret and strive and push and and, and pull for things to go God's way. But, but we don't have to do that. We don't have to be anxious. If we're anxious, it means we're afraid of some perceived threat. But God isn't threatened by anything. 
Hear this, Christian. Your father isn't threatened by anything. Your father isn't threatened by anything. Your father, your father isn't threatened by anything. So we have nothing to be anxious about. Jesus is a really good host. Our text introduces us to two sisters, Martha and Mary. If we take this text in the context of the Gospel of John, we'll learn they live in a town called Bethany. Now, if you look at a map, you'll see that Bethany is a little east and south of Jerusalem. All right? Now, Jesus has been walking with his disciples, going through Samaria, which is north of Jerusalem, headed toward Jerusalem. In fact, Luke told us his face is like fixed on Jerusalem because he's going to go die for our sins. So for him to go through Bethany to get to Jerusalem doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, he's probably on his way to Jerusalem when he's coming through Bethany, but Luke, for some reason, inserts this episode with Mary and Martha right in the middle of this of this season of, him travel, of Jesus traveling from Galilee through Samaria down to Jerusalem. He puts it in. So we want to ask, why does he do that? And I would say that Luke has a reason to put this interaction here now. According to um, New Testament commentator David Lyle Jeffrey says this, says, if Luke 10, which is where we are, Luke 10, if Luke 10 had ended with the parable of the Good Samaritan, that's what we looked at last week, If it had ended with the parable of the Good Samaritan, we might be justified in thinking that the proper end of the Christian life is generous service to others, exceeding in its abundance what the law alone might be thought to require. And he goes on to say, the true disciple of Jesus must surely love and serve his neighbors, even those not normally thought of as neighbors, but the Lord must be loved first and always. In other words, what we saw last week was that the life of discipleship is a life of love. Everybody say love. A life of generous service to others. God doesn't just call us to love our tribe. Amen? He calls us to show mercy on our hurting neighbors, even if those neighbors are our enemies. But we can only show this kind of hospitality toward the hurting if we put our loves in the right order. Love for God is the source and sustenance of any love for neighbor. Jesus continues, I'm sorry, not Jesus, Jeffrey continues by saying this. It says, here, as an epilogue to the main narrative thrust of this and the previous chapter, it seems that Luke intends us to perceive a complementarity. While active service of the Lord, coupled with love of one's neighbor, is a hallmark of the disciples' life, we're supposed to do that. None can long practice it rightly without sitting at the feet of the Lord. In other words, the active life of loving one's neighbor is sustained by the contemplative life meditating on the love of God at the feet of Jesus. Luke inserts this episode here to remind us that what makes disciples disciples is not that they serve in Jesus' place, but that they sit at Jesus' feet. Let's look at Martha. Luke tells us that she lived with her sister Mary in this village. It seems that she owns her home, 
which would have been a unique thing for a woman at this time. Her parents have probably died. Her brother Lazarus may not quite be of age to inherit. And uh, because usually a, a, the oldest male would have possession of the family home, but it says it's her home. She's got a home and she's a really good host, a really good host. In fact, if I were hungry, I want to go to Martha's house. Why do I say she's a good host? Because look at verse 38. It says, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Welcomed him is an important phrase. Say, welcomed him. She welcomed Jesus. She didn't reject him. She didn't direct him to the local inn. She received him. Now, Jesus commended people like Martha at the beginning of chapter 9. And at the beginning of chapter 10, when he sent out the 12 and the 72. If you go back to chapter 10, look at, starting in verse 5, you'll read these instructions Jesus gives to his disciples. He says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in that same house, eating and drinking what they provide. Skipping down, do not go from house to house, verse 8. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. So Jesus commends people like Martha because they're people who welcome and receive Jesus. They welcome and receive his disciples. So Martha receives Jesus. He's one of the people who welcomes him, receives him. Neither Luke nor Jesus nor Augustine nor Gregory the Great will let us condemn Martha for her hospitality. What she does is a good thing. The problem is it's not the good thing. See, Martha has a lot to do. I'm sure many of you can relate. She has a lot to do. And when Jesus sent out the 72, he told them to say, peace be to this house when they entered. Now, sometimes when Jesus comes in, he wants to bring a peace that we didn't know we needed. You ever have that happen? He comes to bring peace, but until he brings that peace, you don't know you needed that peace. You may actually have thought you needed a different kind of peace. He's like, no, you need this peace. Martha thought she needed to rid her home of chaos in order to host Jesus. And what she's finding is that Jesus wants to rid her heart of anxiety and trouble. That's where real peace comes from. Real peace doesn't come from having your house in order. Real peace comes from having your heart in order. Jesus has been saying that those who receive him and his disciples will receive a blessing themselves. And here Luke clarifies what it means to receive Jesus. It doesn't mean getting your house in order. It means letting him have access to your heart. Imagine being Martha. Imagine. I want you to just play around with this. Imagine this. Nowadays, people will at least call ahead most of the time. But imagine, it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. You get knock on the door. We're not going to say it's Jesus yet, but it is. But it's a really good friend of yours. And about 15 of their friends. Why do I say that? Because the first verse tells us that they went on their way. Told you, Martha's a really good host. To welcome Jesus is to welcome his entourage. You're excited to see your friend, but it's five o'clock. You had just decided to have sandwiches for dinner, right, Ava? Because you didn't want to cook. But you don't have enough bread for 18 people. Walmart ain't open because you live on the south side. They close early. 
All the clothes before that. You're trying to scrape together a meal and figure out where people are going to sleep. You knew you should have threw those sheets in the washing machine, but you didn't. Now you got to find a guest room. You start to think, man, maybe maybe Miss Cindy can take some next door. Mr. Edwards, he's out of town. And Miss Judy's house ain't quite guest ready. If you know what I mean. In other words, Martha's really distracted with serving, as all of us would be. Right? And she's anxious. Now, here's one way to think about how how Martha's feeling. Here's what she's thinking. She's thinking, Jesus is here, and that's a bad thing. (laughs) When I was writing this, I started getting emotional thinking about this. Think about this. Imagine being in this place. Jesus is here, and that's a bad thing. That's bad news for me. Because, I mean, i got a lot of work to do. You ever been there? Jesus is here. That's a bad thing. Jesus is here, and that's a reason to be afraid. Afraid of what he might think. Afraid of what, how I might be perceived. Afraid of how I might look. So she's anxious. Now, we deal with anxiety in a lot of different ways. One of the ways we deal with anxiety is through overworking. We try to work our way out of anxiety. Maybe that's some of y'all. If I just accomplish one more task, if I just spend one more hour, if I go in one more day, then I won't be anxious. Another way we try to deal with anxiety is by stopping working. If we just stop working, then the anxiety will go away. We think that if I just um, stop working and spend more time at the park, I'll be free of anxiety. If I stop working and watch three more hours of Netflix, I'll be free of anxiety. If I stop working... Um, or if I start working a job that doesn't pay, then I will be free of anxiety. Another way we deal with anxiety is through blame. I'm overburdened, and it must be someone else's fault. My anxiety is someone else's fault, and therefore it's someone else's responsibility. And that's, that's probably how Martha's dealing with it right here. She's probably thinking, now I'm sure. Imagine, running around putting laundry in, trying to, trying to skin the goat. I mean, imagine what she's going through. And looks around and says, now I know my sister must be working as hard as I am. I mean, we stare the same house. We sleep in the same room. We might even share the same pallet. And you look in the front room, and she's, she's sitting on her rear. She's asking questions. She's laughing. It's at this time that anxiety turns to trouble in your heart. She's not just anxious, she's troubled in her heart. In verse 40, she says as she stops working, she puts down her knife, and she goes up to Jesus. No, she doesn't just like talk to him, doesn't just turn to him. She goes up to Jesus. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And you look at the original, the, the proposed answer to this question is, yes. I mean, which you should care, because if you 
And if you do care, tell her then to help me. Notice that Martha's anxiety turns to trouble and it makes her make demands of Jesus. I call you Lord, but I want you to do what I say. Here's the problem with stopping um, Luke 10 at verse 37. Here's what's wrong with what's going on in Martha's heart. She's doing a really good thing. But service can become an idol. And when service becomes our idol, we can start, especially if we're working with the poor, we can start thinking that we have more compassion than Jesus. We can stop listening to Jesus. And if we stop listening to Jesus, we can get really frustrated with our friends for not listening to us. And we can get really frustrated with Jesus for not listening to us. And that can burn us out. Now, I want to talk for a second about burnout. Because burnout's a, a, a really important word in our culture today. Friends, you can, do, you can get burned out doing a lot of ministry without listening to Jesus. But here's something that I think we need to make sure we understand. Is you can get burned out doing a lot of ministry while listening to Jesus. Okay? I don't think burnout is the enemy. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but I do want to go here for a second. I think we need to hear this. I think we, we can get stuck. If we live with the mindset that burnout is the enemy, I say this as someone who got burned out doing ministry. Some of y'all know, third year teaching, I was done. If we live just trying to avoid burnout, we might stop ministering altogether. And you know what we're going to miss? We're going to miss Jesus. Why do I say that? We're going to miss hosting Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 25, what does he say? He says, one way you could read it is if, is if, you, if you miss, now I'm going to switch my word. I'm going to use the same word, miss. But let's say I miss Jesus. I long for Jesus. I want to see Jesus. Here's what he says. If you want to see me, if you miss me, if you long for me, if you know that I'm seated in the heavenlies and you want to see me again, here's what you do. He says, go serve the vulnerable. When Morgan's out of town for a week or so, I start to miss her. I do a couple things. Here's what I do. I'll pull out my phone. I'll look at a picture of her. I might text her. I may call her. I may FaceTime. That's in progression of goodness. Right? Here's what Jesus said. If you miss me and you really want to see me, then go serve the vulnerable. Feed the hungry. Give some water to someone who's thirsty. Go visit somebody in the penitentiary. Take your good coat and give it to somebody who doesn't have a coat. Foster a kid in DHS. Go cut the yard or clean the house of a neighbor who just lost her husband. He says, if you do that, you're going to be ministering to me. You're going to see me. Matthew 25, right? Take care of the least of these. That's where you find Jesus. If you miss me, come find me there. Church, if you love people, especially if you love people who are hurting, you're going to get tired. You're going to get exhausted. It's going to cost you something. You're probably going to burn out, which really means you get exhausted. You don't want to do it anymore. You lose your zeal for doing it. You're not passionate about doing it anymore. You don't look forward to going to work every day. This might sound familiar. According to the World Health Organization, burnout is a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. It's characterized by three dimensions, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, 
increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job and reduced professional efficacy. In other words, burnout refers specifically to phenomenon at work. It's when work stresses you out, so you're mentally and emotionally exhausted. You hate going to work. You're not as productive. That's what burnout is. If you haven't been there, you're probably going to be there, especially if you're in an industry that deals with a lot of vulnerable people. That could be a mom or dad who stays home with their kids. It could be a teacher. It could be a healthcare provider. It also happens with other, with other occupations. You get excited about a job. God gives you a job. You're excited. It's an answer to prayer. And then you get bored. Relationships start to rub. Our boss overlooks us. We get promoted and feel like a fraud because the learning curve is steep. But the work keeps coming. You don't have enough time to do what people are asking. You get exhausted. It just happens. Expect burnout. Burnout isn't the enemy In fact, some of us want to quit. We ain't even burned out. The problem is that we don't know how to rest and work unto God. If I don't rest in God, I'll be anxious. If I don't work in God, I'll be anxious. If I don't rest in God, I'll be anxious. What God calls us to is a holy work and a holy rest that lets Jesus be the Lord of both our work and our rest. And he's the only one who can bring us back from burnout. He's the one who can keep stoking the fire when it really is ash. So if you're burnt, so, so just keep, keep going back. Keep going back. Keep going back. Keep going back. And talk to some older saints. They burned out a lot. And if they made it, they just kept going back to Jesus, kept going back to Jesus, kept going back to Jesus. Now, Martha isn't burned out. She's just frustrated. But I want you to listen to how Jesus responds to Martha. She starts making demands on Jesus. But I want you to listen to what he says. Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha. Martha. I'm going to come back to the Lord in a bit. I want to talk about these two words. Martha. Martha. When Jesus says, Martha, Martha, he's conveying tone and intention. His tone is tender. It's a gentle rebuke. Jesus isn't getting defensive. <laughs> Which is crazy. Because I would be defensive. Jesus ain't getting defensive. He's not aggressive in his correction of Martha. She probably doesn't even know her own heart. She's distracted by a lot of stuff. She probably doesn't even realize she's sinning. And Jesus is gentle with her. Martha. Martha. 
He's tender, but he's also direct. He's talking specifically to her. Throughout the Bible, whenever a name is repeated twice, it usually means God really wants them to listen. He really wants them to listen. Now, parents, you know about this. It's not always tender, but it may be repeated. But I want you to hear some of these. Notice Abraham in Genesis 22. God says, Abraham, Abraham. And then what comes after it? Don't kill your son. I see your faith. I'm going to make you a great nation. I see you. Moses, Exodus 3. Moses, Moses. I know you're a murderer. I know you have a record. I know you're ashamed of what you've done. But you're my man to go back and redeem my people, set my people free. Samuel, in 1 Samuel 3, Samuel, Samuel, listen, I know you're a boy. I know you're still in training, but that just means you're not too old to believe me. I'm going to do something that's going to make people's ears tingle. But I'm going to reveal myself to you and you're going to be a keeper of my word. And you're going to anoint David. He'll do it in Luke 22 with Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Which means y'all. He demanded to have all my disciples. That he might sift y'all like wheat. But I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I'm going to use you, Peter, to strengthen, to lift up. And to shepherd my people. In Acts 9, Luke's going to tell us, he's going to say, Saul, Saul, I'm taking away your sight so you can see reality as it really is with me at the center. And you're going to be my instrument to take the gospel to the nations. God is saying, I really need you to listen to this. So he says, Martha, Martha, I'm speaking to your heart. And he exposes her heart. You're, listen, you're anxious and you are troubled about a lot of things. Notice he doesn't say, you sure are doing a lot. He speaks to her heart. He says, you're anxious. You're troubled. There's a lot on your mind. And he says, but if you want to know the one thing that's necessary, the one thing. Everybody say one thing. If you want to know the one thing, if you want, if you want to know the one thing you should do next, if you want to know the one thing that's most important, you want to know the one thing that is crucial, the one thing that's, that's most important, the one thing that's essential, if you want to be a good Host, if you want to show me hospitality, if you want to make me feel at home, it's not going to be through vacuuming. It's not going to be through skinning that goat. It's not going to be through stirring the pot. It's not going to be putting a pillow on that pallet. If you want to know how to host me, look at Mary. Look at Mary. Not through your eyes, 
I'm going to change your sight. Look at her. Look at her again. Look at her again. She's not a tool. Just look at her. She's chosen the good portion. Jesus says, I know you got a lot in that pot. You got some good sausage in that gumbo, girl. It smells delicious. You got culinary on lock. Except for this. Everything in that pot is going to be gone tomorrow. Because there's 18 of us. But if you want a feast, it's going to last forever. Forever, ever. Feast on me. Feast on me. Not on your work. Not on the ministry. Not on the service. Not on your gifts. Feast on me. It says, I am the good portion. I am the feast that will not be taken away from you. Now, when Jesus calls himself the good portion, he is reiterating something important about his identity. We already mentioned that Luke refers to Jesus in this passage as the Lord. That's an important title. Sometimes Lord was just used like we use the word sir. But when Luke uses it to refer to Jesus, he's often equating Jesus with Yahweh of the Old Testament. Jesus is not just a Lord. Jesus is the Lord. One with the Father and the Spirit. Listen to the words of these Psalms. Listen to Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6. It says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What this passage is saying is that God is our inheritance. And if He is our inheritance, He is the most beautiful inheritance. He is our lines and pleasant places. He's the best thing we could ever receive. The best thing we could ever Consume. He's going to give life to our souls. Listen to Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When I'm anxious and troubled, when I'm physically and emotionally exhausted, when I'm burned out, God strengthens my heart when I feast on him. Listen to Psalm 119, 57 and 58. It says, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. It's saying, You, God, are the only one I look to to satisfy my soul. You are my portion. You're my feast. And you give me more than I deserve. Jesus is our good portion. See, here's what happens when we put down our service. And we go back to Jesus' feet. Here's what happens. Is we hear Jesus. And that is enough. Because you know what? If Martha had heard what Jesus was saying, she probably would have heard some stories. About the kingdom. And I bet 
She would have heard that the kingdom is a place of abundance. And I bet Peter would have chimed up and said, and you know what happened the other day? We didn't even have lunch ready. We had nothing in the pot. We didn't even have a pot. And you know what Jesus did? He took five loaves of bread. He took two fish. And you know what he did before that? All we had was some water. And we had like 300 people. The whole village came out. And he said something. And it was the best wine I'd ever tasted. See, if Martha had just, had just ceased striving, and he, she would know that he is God. If she just sat at his feet, she would have known he's got the bread. Actually, he's got culinary on lock. He doesn't have a place to lay his head, and that's okay. He's used to that. See, the secret to hosting Jesus is to let him host you. We can get really busy, right? Really busy and really anxious. My community group knows. I know how to get anxious. I know how to get anxious. But often it's because I'm forgetting what he did last time I was anxious. What he said last time I wasn't ready. What he mentioned through a friend, or through a letter, or through an email, or through a text message, or through his word, about what he wants from me. About how he changed my direction and told me that, hey, this thing that you're slaving over ain't really what I'm asking you to do. I got you. Family? He's got you. He really does. He's got your business. He's got your kids. He's got your marriage. He's got your home. He's got your work. He's got you. He's got your ministry. He's got your service. He's got your vocation. He gave you the gifts. You ain't got to worry about it. He's not trying to squeeze productivity out of you. Productivity just means fruitfulness. And guess who makes it bear fruit anyway? I read John 15. Jesus does. He makes the growth happen. 
It ain't dependent on you. Stuff may fail. And it probably would have failed if your hands were all up in it. If God wanted it to fail. And you know what? He has a way of making our failures better than we deserve. Because he really cares about our hearts. He really does. And he's not going to let you down. You know how I know? Because he's, in this passage, he's still on the way. You know where he's going? To serve you and to serve me in ways that none of us can serve him. He's going to keep on walking on the way, up the hill, and to a cross. He's going to die for all of our troubles. And he said, one day, I'm going to come back. And then, you ain't going to have no more troubles. You ain't going to have no more anxiety. So right now, let go. Trust me now. It belongs to me. You're good. You're safe. You're okay. I got you. I'm with you. And nobody can take you away from me. Believe it. If you don't, sit at his feet. Amen? Father, I pray for my friends and for myself. We get anxious a lot. And some of us right here are sitting here troubled. And it's not like fake trouble. It's not like trouble that doesn't really exist. It's like real trouble. We really need your help. We really do need your help. Some of these fears aren't just perceived fears. They're real fears. But God... Father, what you've called us to is to be children who trust in their Heavenly Father. So I pray you would strengthen us to know and believe your love for us. Strengthen us to hear and believe the gospel. Strengthen us to trust you even when hope seems deferred, when hope seems out of reach. Help us, God, to keep hoping in you. You've proven it over and over again. You're never going to let, never going to let, never going to let us down. You proved it on the cross. You went the whole way for us. So Lord, help us, help us, help us, help us to believe it. We trust you. We pray in Jesus' name.